each of us are connected to food systems. So you and I have a vested interest in understanding its workings, challenges, and potential solutions. In my role at Google, one of my responsibilities is to ask, what are the impacts of our food choices? Not just on our individual health and well-being, but also on the food systems we are a part of, our producers, our suppliers, society, and the planet. I believe we all have a responsibility to ask big questions like this one. The answers can open a world of possibility. I invite you to join me in meeting the leaders who have dared to step up to answer these bigger questions to create a better food future for us all. This is Food Lab Talk. Thanks for joining me for another Food Lab Talk. I am Michael Bakker. Food policies help protect the safety of our food system. These policies can vary by country, state, and even by county, making for a confusing patchwork of laws that can have unintended consequences on other parts of the system. Emily Broadleap and the team at the Harvard Law School Food Law and Policy Clinic are working to simplify and sometimes modify legislation to help change makers combat food waste. I recognize lawyers have a really specific skill set, but I, I'm constantly conscious of the fact that our skill set only is a useful tool in combination with some of these other skill sets. So whether it's working with people in the sciences or in public health that are collecting data on what solutions work, and then we're unlocking the ability for those to go forward, or whether it's working with like the entrepreneurs who have the really good idea and we're putting the wind in their sails to say, if you change what you're doing slightly, you can comply with the laws or here's how we might need to go try to get changes to the laws to allow these innovations. And, you know, I think law is very much a tool that pairs really well in combination with others. And on its own, it's like, I don't think we have nearly the amount of potential for change. Through her work as founding director at the clinic, Emily and her team developed the Global Food Donation Policy Atlas, a tool with country-specific findings and recommendations that can help accelerate progress to overcome legal barriers to food donation and recovery. More recently, the team has been involved in developing a federal food waste policy in the U.S. On today's episode, we discuss how Emily's work is enabling many of the change makers we've heard from this season staying motivated when the pace of change can feel slow, and what you can learn from lawyers about moving around roadblocks and accelerating progress in your work. Here's my interview with Emily Broadleap. I'm a clinical professor of law at Harvard, which means that I run clinical program. So my work is really in training law students in, you know, how to be future leaders. And in my case, in food law and policy. So that's what I do. And my program is the first one in the country, actually focusing on getting students involved in practicing food law and policy. So it's been a lot of fun kind of getting this novel program off the ground and a lot of hard work educating my own colleagues as well as like partners and government and businesses on what it is that we do. 
Thank you. So on this podcast, Emily, I've spoken now with a rocket scientist about food waste, students, activists, you name it. You're the lawyer. So I'm always really interested in learning more about how did a person end up working on or being focused on food waste? So being a lawyer and food waste, what is the connection? <laughs> yeah, these are good questions. So I went to law school and was really interested in human rights and actually Food connects to human rights. There's a lot of discussion. I believe there's a right to food. We don't recognize it in the U.S., but I think we should. But the rights I was interested in were more around like physical safety and security, particularly in conflict and then in post-conflict. And for a variety of reasons, even though I spent my time in law school really studying things around like humanitarian law and war crimes, I ended up doing a fellowship after law school in rural Mississippi. and was working on really connecting universities with community partners to look at improving health and economic opportunity. And pretty early in my time there, I got to meet some local farmers and food producers that colleagues of mine had been supporting them. And they were saying to them, like, how can we help you grow more food, make food more accessible, serve your communities? And all the questions they had were legal questions. And it was this really like aha moment that you know, there's an increasing focus on food, which brings up a lot of questions about what people are allowed to do within the laws. So I know this is a little bit of a long story, but I got really started with cataloging the questions that these farmers markets and food producers had, trying to help them understand the law and trying to make the laws better. The way that the clinics really set up is that like these farmers and farmers markets, we'd start by working with, you know, individual businesses or government or startup to answer their questions. And after spending some time in Mississippi, I came back here and started this program. And our first client that really got me into food loss and waste was Doug Rao, who's the former president of Trader Joe's and was at the time was just thinking about starting a nonprofit grocery store that was really focused on selling at a very low price food that is surplus or would have otherwise been wasted. And he was running into all these legal problems. So we had lunch and he said, I have this great idea that can really like change the landscape of food access and nutrition and food loss and waste, but it's not legal. So I'm looking for a new idea. And I said, well, if it's not legal, then let's look at the laws that are in the way and let's change them. This started a really long relationship where we provided a lot of like basically legal guidance to him and to food donors that wanted to give him food. And then from that experience, got a really good sense of some of the policy changes needed to, you know, get out of the way of these innovations that are good for people and good for society. If I can go back and what I hear maybe is that when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And what I heard you say, you're a lawyer, so you're looking at the challenges. It must be a legal challenge. So as you got going, did you see as well or do you see that there are multiple levers needed to be addressed in order to really to impact it at scale? Yes. It's a great question. So I love it because I would say that too. And I make fun, you know, I can make fun of myself as any good lawyer should hopefully that, you know, this is a whole of society problem and every lever is needed to really make change. I mean, you know, I know you've already been talking to others about food loss and waste. It's like the stupidest problem. No one is benefiting. And so, you know, I think obviously government is needed, policy change is needed, innovation, these startups, like trying out new things, figuring out ways 
that we can reduce the amount of food wasted, divert it into sources of food. If it can't be food, then, you know, get it to other things like animal feed or, or compost. So at all levels, and business is needed too, to really show that this can be done, to care about it, to, you know, change their own ways of doing business. But I also recognize that I think as far as thinking about the law and policy side, that's really a place where there haven't been enough people involved in that. So it's been, it's made it both an interesting challenge, but also, you know, I recognize that not everything is a nail, it just looks like a nail to me. Got it. And I don't know your discipline in any form or shape. So just question out of curiosity. So you have the law itself and how might the law be evolved? So that might get into politics. You get the review of ultimately court cases and being a defense lawyer and thinking it over there. But if I understand what you're doing, you're running clinics to train students. So what made you choose this avenue versus others? And I'm sure there are more. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think when I was in law school, the bulk of law school is really training people to be litigating. So either like bringing court cases or representing the defense in those cases. And I didn't have that much opportunity in law school to learn about what are the tools that you need as a lawyer trying to change policy. And so when I graduated and started doing work where that, you know, was something I was able to do and realizing, wow, I think a lot of students would really benefit from having this training. So kind of separate from the substance of food and food policy, really the set of tools that you use. So for me, it's, I think when you're thinking about policy, you need to understand, you need to know how to read the court cases so that you understand what is legally possible for governments to do or not to do. You know, sometimes a government creates a really innovative policy and then they get struck down in court and you need creative lawyers saying, okay, you know, we got a roadblock. How can we move around that roadblock? And then I think the other set of skills that I'm working on with students are how do we like build consensus with these different stakeholders? You know, how do we educate people and explain the law in ways that that is like comprehensible to non-lawyers? So a lot of my work, that's the fun part, like is understanding this really complex topic and then thinking about how do I make this like clear to people who who aren't going to get a law degree, but just as much deserve to understand this because it impacts their work. So it's really fun. And it's really, I think, lawyering in a way that's not what you see on TV. And in fact, I have really not spent any time in a courtroom. And I think I would probably embarrass myself if I were to try to be a lawyer in a courtroom. But you can play one on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's perfect background. <laughs> Question for you about the time horizon. It feels to me that you see the challenge exactly. It's a really stupid problem and it should be fixed more or less overnight. But I think the work that you're doing will take a much longer approach because you're building out capacity. So it might take literally years before you actually bear the benefits of your work. How do you keep yourself motivated with that? Mm. Such a good question. Well, I will say the reason I, I got really into policy was the first policy I ever worked on, which wasn't in food loss and waste. So I mentioned I was working in Mississippi with these small farmers markets and our first step was really educating them what laws they needed to know about. And then we were looking at the laws and saying, wow, you would really only write the laws this way if you didn't want people to sell local food in Mississippi. So we went to the legislature with a proposal with, with a bunch of partners 
to change a law that was basically in Mississippi, there's a sales tax at grocery stores and you're exempt if you're a farmer selling from your farm. And there was a like a gray area with farmer's markets. And so we said, you know, you should treat these like farms because the whole idea is that you want to promote local growing, you want to promote local producers. And it's better for consumers when they come together in a farmer's market than having to drive out to all these farms. And so we went into the legislature with this great proposal. It passed unanimously the first time we went in. And I thought, this is amazing. (laughs) And of course, it never has happened like that again. Um, But I think, you know, I kind of draw on that success and, you know, this recognition that things might take longer, but that change is possible. I'm really an optimist. I think we're realistic, but I think optimistic. And I think we have seen change over time. You're right that it's not fast. It goes much slower. Everything, when we work on recommending, you know, a policy change, we might get, it'll take five years instead of one year, or we'll get, you know, two of the 10 things we asked for. But I do see I do see change moving along. And when I zoom out and look at the bigger trends, I see things moving in a really positive direction. So, and I would say like working with students keeps me positive because along the way, they have these aha moments. You know, I feel like part of my theory of change is that I'm educating future leaders and they're going out and, and you know, scaling this work up in their own careers. Yeah, I'll come back to the theories of change later on. But first, for the non-lawyers among us, are there a number of laws that are clearly blocking us as a society to accelerate the reduction of loss and waste in food systems? Is it an incredible variety and it's every little thing? Or are there a core number of laws that are basically responsible for 80% of the blocking of the efforts? That's a really good question. When I think about the role that law plays in food loss and waste, I would say there's on one hand what, you know, what you just described, that there's laws that are blocking progress. And sometimes it's the law itself is literally blocking progress or even more frequently, it's a lack of understanding of the law. And, you know, food is really heavily regulated. You know this because you're in the business of food, but no one wants to run afoul of like the safety agencies that are inspecting them. So often there's there's a lack of clarity itself that can be the problem. And then on the flip side, law can also be a lack of of incentives. So it's sort of, you know, financially, it's easier to just waste food. There's not a lot of of economic incentive to do something different or, or for that matter, an economic penalty for continuing to pollute the environment by throwing food away. We'd over time been looking at a couple different key areas of law in the U.S. based on, you know, anecdotal discussions with different groups. And we now on the global level have really talked to now in a number of countries, government, industry and, you know, food banks and NGOs and across varying countries from like the U.S. to Argentina to Mexico to India. We got the same core laws that everyone brings up that are challenges. So I'll give you a couple of the big ones. One big one is just the whether the food safety law mentions food donation or not. So nobody wants to run afoul of their food safety inspectors. And if, you know, if you're not sure about what's allowed to be donated and whether it's legal, the lack of like having anything put out by food safety officials 
makes it really difficult. You have to be really motivated to make a change. Uh, so that's one thing that's come up in a lot of cases, like a lack of clarity about whether donation is even allowed. And if so, does food that's donated have to meet all the same requirements as food that's offered for sale? So for example, food offered for sale needs to have like the net weight and the net volume and the ingredients in order of, you know, how much they are in the in the product. So that's one. Another area we've worked on a lot is date labeling on food. And so I think this is another one that's really a clear barrier that for the large majority of foods, the label is really intended to be a statement about freshness and taste. And in fact, when you talk to companies, they say, you know, we run some taste tests, we do some different testing to check out the shelf life, but it's, you know, it's not related to safety. They're not actually looking at whether pathogens are going to kind of emerge in food over time. And yet the large majority of consumers see dates on them and then think they're about safety. And the large majority of businesses either believe that they're not allowed to donate food after the date, or in some cases, the local laws don't allow it. So I could go on. Those are two that have come up in every place we've worked, whether at the state level and the national level in the U.S. or across all the countries that we're working in. If I can drill a little deeper over here. So I've heard that you've been involved in a global food donation policy atlas. Is that referring to having done an inventory of all the great national and maybe local policies as well? Yes. This has been an amazing project. We partner with a group called the Global Food Banking Network. So they're in, um, at this point, about 40 countries. And what they do is provide funding and technical assistance to food banks, which in some cases look similar to what we think of in the U.S. as food banks. And in some cases, in other countries, they're all really responding to the needs. So they look kind of different. So they, they came to us a few years ago and said, we've seen that you've done a lot of kind of comparing and analyzing the laws across states in the U.S., could you do something like that for us looking at other countries? So at this point, we've worked in 24 countries to really analyze the laws that impact food donation. There are seven key areas of law that we look at. So we publish for each country a guide to what do you need to know if you're a business? What do you need to know about complying with these seven areas of law? And then we've also published for each country recommendations. If you want to move the needle forward based on all the conversations we've had with, you know, business and government and the food banks in that country, here are the things that that policy change could really address the, the barriers that we're hearing about. And it's been amazing because I think kind of a couple of key takeaways. One is just that even though the context is really different from country to country, the legal areas that come up are the same. So that's the first. And I think the second is that food and food waste is in different countries is regulated by all different ministries or agencies. So there's not a lot of opportunity for them to communicate across countries about policy successes. And we've, I think, really created that forum to share a best practice in India and a best practice from the UK and a policy barrier in Argentina across this group of countries. And then I think lastly, we're actually seeing progress. I was just doing a look back over the four years of the project, and we've seen a lot of policies change in these countries, which it was like a, a really exciting moment. Like we're, we're so in the weeds country by country and taking a step back and seeing that, you know, since 2016, in several of these areas of law, more than five countries have 
have actually changed their policy, which is really cool. Yeah. Just reflecting on what I just heard from you, Emily, it, it feels to me is that there are now all over the world a variety of what I would call technical solutions. And you're finding commonalities. And I think you're clearly recognizing as well that there are local or national differences as well. What I haven't really heard you speak about so much is the adaptive component. Even when you know the solution itself, are you tracking as well from what does it take or are there common themes in who is ultimately able to move the system to embrace the technical solution? It's a great question. We've been very focused. I mean, and I think in the thinking of the strength that we have in what is the technical solution and what are the small differences between ways countries are implementing this? And we're just starting to really work partnering with other, you know, partners with other skill sets to look at how do we kind of compare the impact, you know, in these policies that vary a little bit, you can have quite a different impact in terms of whether they're actually, you know, reducing waste or what people think about them. So one study we're doing on our own right now is trying to do an initial qualitative analysis of three different countries that have what we would call like a food waste deterrence policy. So it's our new, this is like our new catchphrase. And it means this growing number of policies that are somehow penalizing throwing food away. So we've taken three countries that have really different approaches to this. And we're interviewing a number of stakeholders in each country to try to get to, you know, how is the different ways you approach this and the different context made them more or less successful in terms of moving the needle? And that includes, you know, talking to businesses like, has this policy been easy for you to implement? Have there been unintended consequences? So that is something that's underway. And then domestically, we've been working on a series of studies trying to look at as we compare across different state policies, are they actually showing up with a reduction in food waste or not? And I think the challenge we're running into there is actually a really one of, of measurement, which I think is a really good thing to talk about. I mean, the fact that states and most countries do such a poor job of, of really actually measuring the amount of food waste makes it really difficult then to know if something's working or not. So, you know, there's lots of ways to know if a policy has been successful. And I think we're at a place now in recognizing that that I think that's the future. Like, how can we work with governments to collect better data to know if something's working or not? And then also, how can we collect the perspectives of, you know, it is valid and legitimate to also look at, like, what are the perspectives of the regulated entities? And do they feel like this has been successful or is it, you know, been a huge headache for them and having unintended consequences? Yeah. So we've spoken a little bit about the the technical solutions and then the adaptive solution. Another interesting one is to think through, should we invest more in the development of new solutions or look at how might we scale up the known solutions as well? So in your world with students, how do you find or maintain a balance between getting students excited about the knowns but just figure out how to apply the knowns or to get involved in the unknowns and work still to be done. Yeah, it makes our work very busy because there's so much. I mean, I think to me, the most exciting is like staying at the forefront of understanding the unknowns. And so I'll give one example right now of a new like legal area that we're trying to understand better, which is around 
there's been kind of a growing number of, of organizations trying to really, at scale, recover food to make it animal feed. And so some of them are running into the issue that when you create a facility that's bringing in food waste, that facility is labeled a waste facility. But it, they don't want it to be a waste facility. They run into all these other challenges if they're a waste facility in terms of you know, zoning issues and permitting issues, et cetera. So this has been a new one. I think it's fun and interesting that we're constantly like, you know, here's a new area that we can really look into. And we have students trying to understand it better and doing interviews and looking at these little nuances between, you know, Washington versus Georgia versus Massachusetts and how we define a waste facility and we, how do we define waste? So I'd say there's a lot of that. And then I think, but we're constantly trying to explain, you know, here's a policy that we know is working. And a great example, one that I'm really excited about in California has been, they're the first state to really at scale require donation of food from businesses, you know, for any edible surplus food. And so we're also doing a lot of thinking about, you know, what California is certainly unique, but what can we take from that and deploy in other states? And like, you know, what can we learn? We talked a lot to partners there. What do they wish were in the law that's not? And if they were going to do it somewhere else. So it certainly keeps us busy that there's, you know, that there's like interesting things to do on both sides of that. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot of room in both directions. Yeah. When I hear you speak, it feels to me that you're looking really at the broad ecosystem and you're looking for holistic solutions. Getting into some more sensitive areas over here, it feels to me at times when you work with specific partners, they're very focused on finding a solution that matches their core beliefs or what they stand for. And two questions for you, is that a concern for you as well? And then my follow-up question is, based on your work with Refat, is that your solution? Because you're basically working with an overall organization that represents all these different partners? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. So let me start with the second part. So there's been growing interest in this. So in addition to the kind of individual, like, you know, businesses or or nonprofits trying out a solution that we've supported, we've been really trying to, for some of the bigger policy things, like amplify our voice and align a little bit in Coming out of the COVID experience, there was a lot of increased attention on food, on climate, on food waste. So we've, over the past few years, been really doubling down on our partnerships with ReFed, which is, you know, a huge kind of data engine on what are the challenges with food loss and waste, what are the solutions, modeling those, figuring that out and supporting the whole ecosystem. Uh, We also have historically worked a lot with the Natural Resources Defense Council and World Wildlife Fund. And so the four of us together, our organization and those three now are about to launch like a a new, you know, named coalition, which I think I can tell you about now, which is the Zero Food Waste Coalition with the idea of really aligning more on suggestions on policy, but also trying to make it easier for a lot of the more like local coalitions and organizations to be part of the dialogue. So that's one big thing. And I think to me, there's a lot of validity in having groups work together. And you know, there's consensus when you have a lot of people together saying, we all agree that this, like from all the different stakeholders we're working with, 
we recognize this is an important problem and we agree that this solution will be will be impactful. So then, you know, that's one way that we deal with the sensitivity of individual organizations. They just want the change that they want. And I think we're we're constantly thinking about what are the ways that policy can move the whole landscape forward and support all of these innovators and not be really tailored to like one group on their own. And so one of the ways we we deal with that too is that you know, we'll work with individual organizations and try to address their legal questions and challenges and think about what could make it easier for them to operate. But we do a lot of checking in with like anything we put out last year, we put out a report on recommendations for the U.S. Farm Bill. And I think we had 35 different organizations review it and give feedback to be able to really say, you know, there's a broad-based support for the things we're recommending. They're not really only to help one organization. And there's a role for, you know, individual organizations to advocate for the changes they need, but that's not really what we're set up for. Yeah. One more data-driven question for you, Emily. Imagine it's your annual performance review. How would you articulate to your boss that what you've done in the past year has really made a difference in the world that you want to make an impact in? It's a great question. I'm so glad that I don't have an annual performance review. (laughs) Um, Because it's interesting. I mean, you know, I'm in an academic setting. I mean, I think the things that I would grade my own performance on are, I, I constantly think about the two main components of my work. Maybe I'd say there's three main components. One is, you know, we've made an impact in terms of the knowledge of the issues we're working on both the awareness that they are important issues and also we've increased the more technical knowledge to some extent. So, you know, we know date labels are unclear. We've moved the needle on more people understanding what they actually mean. We've moved the needle on on government understanding why this is something that they have a role to play in. That when they're really hands-off, they're allowing this environmentally unsustainable system to keep playing out. So the kind of getting the information out, moving the needle on the knowledge of the law and on the policy, the student piece of it. So we have every semester, we have about 15 to 20 students working with us. We're not all working on food loss and waste. It's our biggest area, but we also have a couple other big areas we work on. We do a lot of work on food as medicine, a lot of that in partnership with our sister clinic that works on health law and policy. We run a really big program on the Farm Bill where we're organizing across law schools on, you know, how to make the farm bill more, more sustainable, more produce more healthy food, more equitable. We talk a lot about like discrimination in agriculture. So there's a lot of other areas, but have we impacted our students as future leaders being able to make positive change? And, you know, some of them do go into food policy. That isn't sadly where most of them do, but that we've like given them the tools to be thinking about food and environment and health and whatever they do and to be change agents in, you know, whatever role they go into. And then I would say the last thing I think a lot about is is equity and trying to, in everything that we do, bring an equity lens to it in terms of the recommendations themselves and in terms of the process of getting input and buy-in to the things we're working on. And I will then report back to you. As it relates to your theory of change, you're very focused on actually building more capacity in the system. 
so others can actually take the steps that are needed. And I think from a change-making or change-leading perspective, some leaders really want to be in control and do it themselves. And what I hear you so wonderfully articulate is that you are an enabler of others. And by doing that in the way you do, you create so much more capacity, but it just takes longer because you have to wait for the capacity to mature and to go out there and do the stuff that you believe in. Thank you. I love that. You can do my performance review for me. <laughs> but I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, I think it's very much the like, you know, doing it in collaboration, not going alone and going faster, but, you know, working together and having the deeper change. There's a huge number of new innovators. A lot of policy changes, you know, at the state level, at the national level. So I'm really, really hopeful. And yet I think also we are going to need to pick up the pace a little bit. Like now we know what a lot of the solutions are. A lot of the first movers have gone out and and done the things they're going to do. And there's, to me, not a reason that we shouldn't be scaling up some of these solutions, especially when we think about among all the good reasons to reduce food loss and waste, the climate reason and the time sensitivity of that. Like there are a lot of things we're going to need to do to reduce our impact on climate that are going to be really hard. Like this should be one of the easy ones. So let's do it. If I was a student at the law school, I would definitely sign up for classes with you. <laughs> All right. Well, come visit. We'd love to have you. For more information about the Harvard Law School Food Law and Policy Clinic, including the various initiatives and tools you heard about today, be sure to check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked what you heard, like and subscribe to our podcast at foodlaptop.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And as we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and inspiring actions towards a better food system for us all. See you next time.